Problem Gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. Hello and welcome back to the Problem Gambling Podcast. This is episode one of season five after a short break uh, where we took our little summer holidays and did our day jobs of uh, working with clients. We're back again and we're delighted to have back with us uh, consultant psychiatrist and head of addiction services at St. John of God's uh, Hospital in Dublin. And also, uh, I can't read my own handwriting now, clinical professor of psychology at UCD. Did I get all that right, Colin? Psychiatry, yeah. Psychiatry. That's okay. Like, and you should never ever get those two things mixed up <laughs> now do you know what it's 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 uh it's it's absolutely fine so thanks for having me on again guys and good to talk to you both thanks colin actually for those like uh, who are listening and who don't know the difference between psychology and psychiatry could you briefly tell us what the difference is between those two things yeah absolutely i mean the the i suppose right from the outset one one will prescribe medic medication which would be psychiatry and, and the and the other field which um use talking therapies but the you know the the treatment of mental disorder nowadays is uh in teams so you know my team we have psychiatry psychology social work um, senior addiction counselling. I have six senior addiction counsellors, senior medical officers, um, and then we have a whole host of, of, of other practitioners that, that also contribute. But um, yeah, I mean the 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 the, the main divide would be um, would be talking therapies versus medication. But you know, psychiatrists would a lot of you know some psychiatrists would train in t- talking therapies as well, just to complicate it further um but yeah that's generally the divide but in 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 treatment services uh the good news for people looking for treatment is you tend to get collection of all of those people in treatment services um, and that helps them with confusion brilliant yeah no it's just good because i think sometimes people kind of mix those together obviously there's some certain amount of overlap uh, i suppose it's just good to, to clarify that uh, even in my own mind, <laughs> just to get those straight. Uh, uh, people who've been listening to the podcast from the beginning will know we had you on near the very start talking about your book, Gambling Addiction in Ireland, Causes, Consequences and Recovery, which I would recommend anybody to read who wants to kind of wrap their head around, you know, how a person can become addicted to gambling in the first place and what options there are there for treatment or getting into recovery and whatever shape that takes and in that episode we, we were stuck for time unfortunately and we focused mainly on the causes of the addiction which is really important please if you're new to the podcast go back it's one of the first episodes and have a listen to that we looked at the causes how a person could develop an addiction to gambling looked at the consequences as well uh, which can be quite severe of developing a gambling addiction and we only really had time to kind of touch on the recovery aspects of it and i suppose we're in recovery month now in september in ireland so i suppose it's important to to take a look at that i suppose just starting out i mean i was listening back to the the previous podcast yesterday and you touched briefly on the 
the biopsychosocial model and before the listeners lose the will to live or their eyes glaze over yeah. it's not it's not that complicated it's just a very long name yeah. for something that isn't that complicated could you tell us a little bit about that colin please yeah i mean it's it's just a way of the yeah it sounds uh a little bit uh daunting i guess uh but it's really just a way of dividing there's a multitude of approaches, really. If you were to go and look up stuff on the internet, you know, for gambling addiction treatment, you get all sorts of uh, different approaches. And biopsychosocial really is just to divide it into the different approaches. So if you look at a third each, it's just so, so you know, biological would be looking at anything to do with the body, including medication. But it also includes nutrition, sleep, physiology, you know, and, you know, I guess meditation could, you know, you know, not could, it does link in with that because you affect your physiology, you can affect your sleep. So a lot of them are inter, you know, interacting with each other. It's, they're not distinct categories. Um, you know, this mind over body or, you know, healthy body, healthy mind. So that's biological. Um uh, and sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a, if you look at psychiatry, we're just talking about psychiatry, psychology is relevant. I mean, sometimes there's a, a sense that you go to a psychiatrist, you, you go to a psychiatrist to be, to be prescribed medication. And that's not necessarily the case, you know. Um, again, you go to a service where, you know, there'd be, you get access to biological, psychological and social inputs. So the psychology piece would be talking therapies, which would be, for gambling, the main one would be cognitive behavioral therapy. But it's not to say that, you know, uh, generic counseling, psychotherapy is very, very helpful. And then there's other, uh, what we call third generation um, uh, approaches, which would be acceptance and commitment therapy, which would be like combination mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and also the concept then of therapeutic alliance. I mean, if you find somebody who and this is applied in the, in the fellowship as well in gambling, um, Gamblers Anonymous. You know, if you find somebody who understands gambling, uh, possibly who's had experience of suffering from gambling addiction, but that's not absolutely necessary. Um, but somebody who understands the condition and is willing to help, um, there can be a chemistry uh, there. Um, and there's a good literature on this, you know, what, what are the ingredients, but basically the main ones is if the person is, wants to help, has enthusiasm, um, then that's it. So, um, so yeah, that's the psychology piece of it. And then the social piece is a disparate kind of group of things, which would include um, mutual support meetings, which are social meetings. You go out, you know, meet uh, people in mainly Gamblers Anonymous, but there's also other groups that are here at the hospital and throughout Dublin. And one time they're throughout Ireland. One, one example is Life Ring, um, which is very helpful for, for our patients. Um, and then there's a whole host of other issues that on the surface look a little bit concrete and maybe not particularly you know, it's not, there's no rocket science to it, but, you know, stuff, stuff like hobbies, um, you know, uh, pastimes, we always ask about these things in, in gambling addiction histories, because, you know, the repetitive stereotype nature of gambling addiction is that the reward centers are hijacked, this is dopamine systems, 
And there's a phenomenon known as stereotypy, which is you, you continue the same compulsive behavior and you get what's called salience or decline of other activities, which is a core feature of, of addiction or dependence. So, you know, people will usually tell me, oh, I, you know, I, you know, if I ask the open question of what are your interests, people will say, oh, well, I used to be interested. It generally starts with I used to be interested. I don't have interest at the moment. And you, both of you would be very familiar with that in, from, from your own work. Um, but, you know, j jumping on to, to those, in, you know, be, actually reverse hijacking those, those interests and getting people back into those things is hugely beneficial because at a neurochemical level and a biological level, you're really forming those connections again. It's a distraction from that very strong uh, stereotype behavior, which is compulsive gambling. And you're moving away from that, which is, um, which, is, which is highly beneficial. So in that as well, in that disparate group and social, you're talking relationships as well, family relationships, which is huge, work relationships, work itself, work can be very beneficial, but it can also be part of the problem. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, yeah, so, and, 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 you know, in treatment, we'd, we'd, we'd form, it's, it's a very good whiteboard exercise. You put biological up, psychological and social. We've done it here for years. We get our group to, you know, start looking at each of them and, and people can put in different things into each category. And for some people, um, psychological would be very big, other people not so big, it's more social, some people do not like, uh, they just can't, you know, get, 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 get into groups, um, so, you know, they're very, you know, you know, wouldn't have great affinity for groups, so they'd be more one-to-one, -one. so really if you're looking on a, on a whiteboard at the different pieces, that's the basis for a care plan, um, you know, again, in each of those you would be looking at triggers, you'd be looking to see how you can minimize um, cues, which is visual cues, it's generally with gambling, our high streets have strong visual cues, our uh, social media platforms, our radio, our television, all have very strong gambling cues. So from a biological perspective, I suppose, um, you know, you, maybe that doesn't quite fit, but I suppose it does from the point of view of people, places, things, which is one of the mantras of GA. You know, you, you don't go to certain, so physically, biologically, you don't put yourself in certain places. Psychologically, um, you know, you'd be looking at how do I optimize um, my, 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 my cognition from the point of view of, you know, healthy thinking, healthy thinking patterns and how you can optimize that. So that would be the, that would be the basis of a CBT care plan. And then social as well, um, you know, who, you know who, you, who do you surround yourself with? What are relationships like, um, you know, so forth. So yeah, so, so that's, that would be the, the kind of biopsychosocial and, and the kind of general umbrella for, treatment yeah and it's like i'm just thinking there as you're talking about it like because sometimes people listen to this who don't have gambling problems they could be a family member they maybe they just stumbled across it they might have read tony's book or you know 
that there are other people who listen to this podcast as you know, helping professionals, counselors, and others who might listen to it. But the biopsychosocial model is a pretty good recipe for living a healthy life, no matter what your situation is. Yeah. You, you don't have to just apply it to a gambling addiction or addiction or anything else. It's just it's a good way of kind of taking stock of your life and going, well, look, there's some bits missing here or I'm too much focus on one aspect or I'm falling down here. And it's a good way to kind of take stock as well. Uh, and you said a really interesting thing. Did you call it reverse hijacking when you were talking about the used to? I used to play loads of hurling or I used to, yeah. you know, the, the, the used to thing and getting people back to the used to. And I'd often, I'm sure you do this as well, talk to people about the identity bit of gambling, that there was a time in your life when you were not a gambler. When you, yeah. Before you ever gamble at all, gambling is not an innate part of your identity. It's just a, a set of behaviors that you've developed the stereotyping, the habituation over time. And now that you're in that autopilot of that repetitive habituation of a, of a set of behaviors, right? It's not who you are as a person. It's not your identity, right? So, I mean, you used to be a guy who played hurling on a regular basis, right? That's, you can, if you're reverse hijacking, you can bring the person back to their identity yeah. pr pre before the, the the onset of the gambling identity. I think there's a lot of value in that because I think it's easier to go back to things, hobbies and activities that people used to be interested in rather than saying, okay, let's start with a blank page. You know, have you ever been interested in hang gliding or whatever? You know? <laughs> because that's never been part of their identity in the first place. And you're starting out with, you know, with nothing in some ways. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, absolutely. And just having the flexibility as well, because, you know, there's a, the, the literature would uh, suggest that there is a cohort who um, are born and bred into gambling, um, you know, and, and, and are introduced at a very early age to either putting wagers on on behalf of a family member. Um, they're an integral part of the industry um, be it be it be it horse racing or whatever. And um, some, in some cases, people don't have, have other interests, you know, so, yeah. um, so, so it's that flexibility. I mean, we have, I was talking to medical students about this, um, you know, we always ask, well, what are you going to go on and do? Um, and you get, you know, surgery or, or pedi pediatrics or obs and gynae. Um, but uh, generally with, with, uh, psychiatry and the treatment of mental disorder and addiction is no different they're, they're, you know one of the characteristics you're looking for in medical students is flexibility and cognitive flexibility and tolerating uncertainty and i think working with people in gambling addiction um you know there, there are so many bumps along the road that and that's all addiction um you know uh it strikes really at the philosophy of, of, of certainly our treatment center where it's non-confrontational, holistic, and we, we take an illness, you know, we obviously respect the illness model. So when people relapse, like, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to, you, you really do have to um, be very understanding of that situation and make sure that the opportunity for learning isn't lost and there isn't a, even a tiny, subtle, punitive piece there, or a, a, a uh, demonstration of any level of frustration, because people in gambling addiction recovery will be feeling that hugely. They'll be feeling 
huge amounts of shame and uh, guilt in a lot of cases and despair because, you know, maybe they've had a run of several months and then there's a relapse for a week or something. Uh, you know, at the end of that, we know from our own clinical experience, from your experience and from the literature that, um, you know, that's a, it's a really despairing time for people characterized by strong uh, dysphoria and sometimes worse, suicidal thoughts and, um, and actions. So, um, you know, the, the, the um, yeah, it's, 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 it's having that flexibility, I guess, you know, that so, so many of the presentations are so, so different um and and at times challenging but 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 keeping as i've said that multiple times in the book you know and and, and it, that it has been our experience like that that if people get into treatment uh and and, and the, the the literature suggests this you know a good proportion probably two-thirds of people who get into formal treatment are going to do very very well so yeah yeah, and it's important to, to hammer that at home as well. I think we touched on it the last day as well, that there is a perceived negativity around gambling addiction or the, the, the potential for recovery from gambling addiction, maybe more so than even with some of the substance addictions, possibly because relapse is easier to hide. Uh, you know, maybe there's, a, there's this terrible term, which I hate. Maybe it's more of an American thing, that the term of the degenerate gambler it's like you know we don't talk about degenerate drinkers right? but degenerate gambler you know as if yeah, I, I haven't come across that i mean i mean there are some terribly pejorative terms which i won't uh deliberately won't won't uh utter uh regards to drug use um but you know i mean we like the reality for you know an addiction is a highly stigmatized uh, condition not only for the individual but also the, the people um, who work in it. I don't know if you have been stigmatized um, because of your uh, work, um, but you know, it's, it's uh, the bulletin, which is part of the British, um, uh, uh, what is it, the, the British Psychiatric Journal or anyway, so yeah, so, so there's, there's another journal that comes out with that. And one of the key questions they used to ask people on retiring, they had a piece at the back, there were you know, maybe emeritus professor, they were, they finished their career basically. And they, they, they asked, they always ask the question, did you, do, do you feel, or did you feel stigmatized by your profession? And you, you got varying responses to that from totally affirmative to, 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 you know, to negative to somewhere in between. But I mean, my, you know, the reality is, and we have to be frank about this because, you know, there's been multiple campaigns in the UK from Royal College of Psychiatrists trying to you know look at reducing stigma towards mental disorder in general um but uh yeah i mean it's it's uh i haven't heard i the, the degenerate gambler i mean yeah i mean i mean it's awful isn't it i mean it's it's uh, shows a, a lack of complete lack of understanding uh that you know what we're dealing with here is a medical disorder characterized you know the the, the, the evidence is, is absolutely clear over multiple, multiple years, uh, all collected, um, you know, several strands from brain scanning studies, genetic studies, laboratory gambling tests, um, clinical evidence, all put together, 
there's no question. And I just might throw in again, just the, the you know, the issue of, uh, you know, brain disorder and gambling. And I've said this the last time I know, but I, so I, I'll be quick, but the, you know, if you see somebody who's suffering from Parkinson's disease and they're prescribed what's called a dopamine agonist, which raises their dopamine, you know, you do get, uh, you know, you, you, you get emergence of gambling addiction where there was never a problem before. Now it's not, not just gambling addiction, you can have hyper-compulsivity. So it could be a sexual problem or it could be say shopping, but there is definitely uh, the emergence of gambling where there was no gambling before. Um, and I'm very strong. If you actually sit down and work out what's going on, you can see that there's dysregulation of dopamine and you know, it's a, it's a very clear brain problem there, neurochemically based with dopamine in the mix. Um, so anyway, that's my, my, my defense of, of uh, yeah, we'll, we probably had enough of that from the first podcast. I'll stop there. No, but that isn't Tony. I know, I know you want to jump in out. Absolutely. And like that, it is important to note that because people, I think a lot of people, whether it's people themselves who have a gambling problem or family members or the wider community think it's just, it's like going back to this kind of Victorian idea of alcohol misuse that, you know, you're just a flawed person who's making bad choices, right? Rather than saying, oh, hang on a second, you know, they're, yeah, there. I know there are different theories on this, the kind of reward deficiency syndrome, and that about one in ten people are born with deficiency in producing dopamine. Yeah, Bloom's theory, yeah, B B L U M, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if that were true, then about one in ten humans would be more likely to to become addicted to something that impacts on their dopamine production. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen if you're in that one in 10, but you know, that would be a physical primer or a physical disadvantage that a person would be born with that would be make them more inclined to develop some addiction or come if they stumble across cocaine or whatever, and that lights yeah. up their brain, it might be gambling for another person. It could be something else for another person. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, you can't just ignore that right you can't just say no, no you're you're a weak person you make bad choices you know that's i don't think that that's reasonable or, or well it's fair. also it's also been if you noticed it's it's used by industry also uh um where there's this there's a pushing of the problem towards the vulnerable few the very small minority of people who are vulnerable but in, in it isn't as simple as that. Actually, you need somebody who is vulnerable, yes, by whatever, whether it's hereditary factors or the environmental factors are racked up so high. In other words, they're constantly exposed to gambling cues and triggers that they initiate gambling and it becomes compulsive. Um, but there's also uh, the issue of the, the, the product itself. So gambling, the product is addictive. So by the sights, the sounds, the reinforcement, the way that it's, it's presented, the product is addictive. So, you know, you can have a vulnerable individual, but if you don't present the product, they're not going to get addicted. So, you know, there's, there's, there's two pieces to it and you don't get addiction without the other piece. Um, so, you know, that's again, the battleground that will be, uh, I guess, in the coming months and years, that, that, that's, that, that was years and years ago in the UK. I remember that, that debate. 
Um, you know, like literally 15 years ago, I remember the, the actual article and, um, you know, but that's, it, it, that, that actual um, topic is as relevant today. Um, and you don't hear it very often, but I think we're going to hear more of it in the, com in the coming months, yeah. Tony, do you want to jump in there? Just to jump in on the, the stigma a bit, I think it's, I don't think I've been stigmatized from working in the area, but definitely, um, it's definitely portrayed in a certain way, gambling through, I think the, the, the degenerative, I can never say it, gambler, is something that really is portrayed in, in films more so, and probably American, American films, it's, it's always, there's either one, it's either one extreme or the other. So it's either a low life down and out that's portrayed as as someone who's shifty and dishonest, or else it's the showing the other side of it where the person yeah. is winning huge amounts. And I think that we, we talked off air about the roadblocks to people seeking help. And that's we've all come across that in our work. It's one of the biggest is the stigma that's still attached to it. And it like it's a very interesting point you made about the product because I think the shift. The shift needs to come back onto game design as much and the psychology behind it. Barry spoke about before, but definitely the psychology behind game design and the huge addictive na nature of the products as well. Um, and I think when we when when we have more of these conversations and reduce the stigma around it, then more then more people will present. And I know in our in our line of work, and I'm sure in yourself, uh, Colin you come across people who present for help, but they don't want to do group work straight away because it's nearly like that last bit of, yeah. the, I'm admitting then that if I'm in a group, then I must be addicted. So it's nearly like that last thing you're holding on to that thing of, I don't want to fully admit it. And we know from the 12-step approach that that's one of the first things we do is, is accept we have the problem and, and you know, that it's become unmanageable in our lives. But the whole thing is that it's still it's still seen as that thing that it's it's just a behavior like why can't you just stop and we still have that narrative and then when you have the industry pushing that as well that it's, it's up to the individual like responsible gambling set your own limits yeah. set your timeouts like yeah, yeah. It's, it's just that needs to change and when that changes then i think we will start seeing more people presenting for for help because I, I think that is definitely the way it's packaged up by the industry but also the way it's packaged up in society probably is that stops yeah. many more people from from seeking that help that they really, really need. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think we can underestimate stigma. I mean, I, 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 I think it's changed in recent years. I mean, I, I did a, um, it was a hot press uh, evening um, where there was a celebration of, of different aspects of mental health and that. It was fabulous. Uh, you know, it was about two years ago, pre-COVID. Um, and it just, the, the young people, you know, the, just the, the attendees and some of the contributors, you, you just, you're struck by uh, a very different attitude to mental illness and, um, you know, addiction problems. Um, but I think we'd be naive to think that there, you know, there's a cohort, still a cohort uh, of, of, of um, people out there who, you know, don't view uh addiction as a medical problem you know they don't see it on par with you know going in to have a scope of your stomach or have your blood pressure or sugars checked or a fracture of your arm or leg or a diabetes or whatever you know it's it's just not seen in that category and i you know that that's a battle that we talked you know again earlier about funding and that i mean the 
the the um, you know it, it, this is you know where it's really pointed and sharp is when you look at the at the relative funding for for different um, your know, physical versus mental health and uh, mental health funding is is way below where it should be. And addiction then is even a, a sub discussion within that, and gambling addiction then is 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 one within that. But again, I think uh, you know the, there is a unique opportunity with gambling in that the you know Alan Shatter, Minister Shatter, you know nailed it in 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 two thousand and twelve, stroke thirteen, and put put a figure on on it and mentioned turnovers. So I think that's. You, know, you often hear the industry and I'm sure people, there are many, many, many people within the industry that do want to do something very positive. But, you know, you know, this is a, this is a unique opportunity within within gambling uh, addiction treatment to, to you know, is, is to levy the, 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 the industry properly in a coherent fashion and um, get proper treatment services up and going. And there's so, like, I don't need to tell you yourselves, you're, 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 you're strong advocates of this, you know, but there's not, there's very little on the ground, you know, there's very, very little there. You're, you're probably the first port to call when it comes to, <laughs> comes to referral, you know, um, you know, but there needs to be a network of, you know, a network of community supports out there and inpatient uh, facilities as well. And, you know, if you stand back and think about that, that's huge. I mean, it's one thing community, but, you know, a series of inpatient as well. Wow. Sorry, Barry. No, 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 no problem at all. Like, yeah, I mean, there's, I think the dream would be to have that mix, you know, like similar, either, either in parallel with the, existing substance misuse community addiction teams or as part of a multidisciplinary team within those again uh, don't to get too gunky on, on this but the way things are funded in ireland is uh, people may some people may remember the original drugs task forces and then they tacked on alcohol because somebody realized oh yeah alcohol is a drug as well but we can't <laughs> for political reasons just call it a drug it has to be drugs and alcohol, as if alcohol were different to all the other drugs, mm. just because it's legal. Yeah. But anyway, so now we have drug and alcohol task forces. Are, it seems unlikely to me that we're going to get drugs, alcohol, gambling, uh, and behavioral addictions task forces or whatever. At some point, why don't they just come along and say, why don't we just have addiction task forces and put all the addictions underneath them? Yeah. Again, I don't know how likely that is to happen. Maybe I'm applying too much logic to that situation. But I mean, you're talking about the potential for a social fund. Again, even if the social fund was 1% of gambling industry turnover, which would be a lot of money in Ireland, with a quick little bit of coding, the gambling industry in Ireland could just change the payout rates on their online slots and absorb that the cost of that in a day. Right? <laughs> quick little bit of coding, change the payout rates on their, their online slot machines because they can set those and they're guaranteed on like the sports market where there's some element of risk for the bookmakers job done cost absorbed it would literally cost them nothing the punter would end up paying for it again as i'm, as I'm <clears> sure they always will but yeah there's huge potential there at the moment unfortunately i mean maybe if we go back to the recovery side of things 
I mean, essentially what we're talking about at the moment is obstacles to recovery. So we're talking about yeah. the stigma is a huge obstacle to people yeah. even admitting they have a problem or seeking yeah. help. I mean, we I think I was looking at the stats on our website since April. We've had about 9000 new people accessing our website. Now, people don't go to a website called problemgambling.ie just for the crack. <laughs> You'd yeah. imagine that most people either have a problem or know someone who has a problem. That would yeah. be 9,000 new people since the end of April, right? In that time, about 180 people have picked up the phone or sent us an email or a text message yeah. on the helpline. So off the top of my head, whatever that is, 2% of people who are going to a website, 9,000 yeah. and 180, which is about 2%, actually taking the next step, which is communicating with another human being about it now we have a yeah. lot of self-help materials up there including the podcast which a lot of people seem to get a lot of benefit out of but that's you know as a representation of the level of stigma you know how many people never even go to the website in the first place because yeah. the, the stigma is such they don't want it showing up in their you know their their browser history or whatever yeah yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when you've overcome that level of stigma, it's like, okay, is there help for me on the ground in Tullamore or Letterkenny or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there you have it. There, there, there you have essentially the blueprint for the, the first steps of treatment for gambling addiction in Ireland. So one information sharing that, that breaks through the, the stigma. So you'd really need a very, very, a national campaign to say, it's okay to suffer from this. It's a recognized medical problem. It's not your fault that you've become compulsive in this regard. There are treatment services there. And by the way, mo most people, uh, we know from international figures, don't attend treatment and suffer in silence. Don't do that. This is what you do, right? And then you have your network. And then when people who are very tentative make that step, that you're there, you're ready to catch them and ready to give them the, the, the treatment that they need. Uh, you know, and that's, that's using what we know uh, as the blocks to treatment to, you know, to, 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 to get around that and to provide people with the treatment that, that, that they need. Um, and, you know, like there's, there's so many different levels to it. There's, there's the, as with many addictions, people end, either ending in the, you know, not ideally mental health services will do their best, but also criminal justice system, you know, so, so, so much work to be done on, on, on that. And debt management is the other thing that, that is very um, important. Um, family work, so family therapy, um, family counseling, one-to-one -one input for children or for spouses um, the introduction there Tony was talking about getting into you know into GA like how many people have we worked with that initially said that they, they, they don't want to get into groups but that they do then you know with a bit of they, they, they do a complete 180 u-turn on their views on groups I mean that's you know because the, the GA network is so so strong and the fellowship and sponsorship system is so strong that it's something that people can't do without, in my view, you know. And but you have to work with people if they're not prepared to go for a period of time. That's fine. Some people never go, you know. But if they've worked for a very good one-to-one -one input, fair enough, you know. But it's just 
all of that information really is you need a structure and you need a framework of services that that will 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 particularly there as we mentioned just at the start getting people into treatment that's the key yeah absolutely and you mentioned a lot of other important elements and you do touch on these in the book gambling addiction in ireland causes consequences and recovery because you know, just like the biopsychosocial model has multi facets, you know, then you're when you get into the debt management, that's important. And Mabs would be really, really good. Tony, at the, you might touch on this as well. I think you, you spoke to Mabs when you were in an early stage of recovery. Uh, if it's debt management, family therapy, because there's so much stuff going on in the family dynamic. And in many cases, there's a lot of pressure put on partners, spouses, or it could be parents, siblings to help with the money management or they want to know if they should be bailing the person out or not bailing the person out. And obviously, you know, generally as a rule of thumb, you wouldn't be bailing people out, but there are situations where that might need to happen with a lot of strings attached and it can become very, very complicated. And quite often, yeah. I think that the nearest and dearest, quite often the partner or the spouse, sometimes a parent is suffering more than the person in early stage recovery, you know, and yeah. there'll be a lot of resentment towards the person in early stage recovery who's feeling, you know, great. And maybe they've been had a month off in residential or three months of residential and they're doing their daily meditation and their yoga and all the good stuff and the one-to-one counseling, the group therapy. And, yeah. you know, and meanwhile, the spouse is at home dealing with screaming kids and people, you know, coming around looking to repossess yeah. stuff or the bank is ringing every day about Mr. Yeah. Mortgage Payments naturally you know there can be resentments there and there's i think family members quite often need a lot of therapy and support and even just to try and heal the rifts in the in the family unit whatever form that takes obviously that if that's beneficial to the person with the gambling problem who's is in early stage recovery and it, it helps the broader family unit who are also i mean you talked about earlier how the gambling industry loved to focus on the 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 one percent maria as we'd say in ireland the so-called one percent of of people with severe gambling problems and of course ignore all the people who are on their way to developing severe gambling problems which is probably five percent population and then you know multiply that by eight to ten for the people who are affected by all that stuff through no fault of their own who you know didn't place any bets didn't do anything you know didn't cross the door of a bookies who are experiencing gambling related harm Right, which I think is a much yeah. better better way of looking at it. Tony, did you want to come in there with something? The debt management part is a big one. Yeah, uh, just I suppose Mabs before the recession kicked in, the last recession kicked in, it would have been nearly stigmatized if you were engaging with them. I know when I was working in the post office, we would have, you know, people would have been, you know, would have been sharing that they were working with Mabs for bill management and stuff like that. And for me, like when I when I when I came out of prison, there was this huge there was two things happened. First thing was the head in the sand phenomenon where I just went, right, I, I owe all this money, just forget about it. And, you know, like people know you're out of prison and you're back in social welfare, just do nothing. About it. But it was it was starting to really weigh on me that I owed money back to financial institutions. So I I, I engaged with Mavis and I met someone there who was absolutely amazing. And I always remember the one he said to me, he says, you have to live, you know, you're, you're entitled to live as well, even though you've done this and you owe this money, you're entitled to live. And, you know, we, we, we put in a series of, of things of um you know we've done the financial planning done a series of things and 
before I went into them, I was really starting to feel it. You know, I was starting to feel it physically. I was, you know, headaches, tension in the shoulders and the chest. And a lot of times with that legacy within gambling, it can be one thing that brings people back because you're looking back at all the damage you've done. You're looking at it's going to be, you know, you, you have all these different styles of cognitive biases or thinking that I've, I have to pay off this for the next number of years. I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, you go into catastrophizing black and white thinking. And for me, just just by having that conversation with that person on the map, that was that was as much as as big a part of my recovery as any of the one-to-one stuff. Yeah. Right? So because it was really, really important that I because that would have been definitely one of the biggest um roadblocks to recovery that need or wanted me to get that money paid back and kind of put myself under pressure doing it and this the shame and stigma and all that went with going in. But it was a bit like um, going to the treatment. There would have been that initial fear of of the stigmatized nature of it as well. But then, when I did go into maps and engage with it, I remember even going to the office. It's on the main street in Carlow, and you nearly be going with your hood up around the corner trying to sneak around. But then at the very end, I saw it as a very valid support for me, and I think that was one of one of the main reasons I I, I was I was really really strong in recovery to start because I didn't feel alone because. I was able to put a plan in place that was manageable money-wise, paying back, paying back the money that I that I owed to the different financial institutions. And for me, that's you have to have a, a multi-layered approach to recovery. It's like it's you can get all the one-to-one work, all the residential, but if you come back out to the environment where you're you're in huge debt and you don't have a plan in place around that, it's so triggering. It's triggering every single time you we talked about internal and external triggers. You see the bill coming in, you know, you see the you see the you're going shopping and you can do have enough money to pay for this and you know the internal triggers are you know that kind of worry around money the whole time i think for me mavis was a really really great way of um alleviating some of that stress or pressure um and sometimes still i'm still paying back you know like and the the system we set up it's um for me it was one as i said it was one of the biggest influences my strong recovery at the start yeah yeah, um, I suppose just two things come to mind. I suppose one, you know, is that there is a path beaten here, like, uh, you know, in the UK. So, you know, the National uh, Problem Gambling Clinic in Soho uh, got a good start. So they've been going for a few years. And um, absolutely, I mean, that was brilliantly put um, for people that are listening, you know, um, Debt management, you know, as you've as you've outlined, Tony, so 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 important um, a part of recovery. We know that it's different to other addiction recovery um, care plans, and that it's it's a huge part. As you said, it's probably one of the most most beneficial parts of the recovery. The second piece, I suppose, is more philosophical and more political, just around how, for how long people um, should be you know, carrying that, you know, the, the, the legacy debt and at what point that should be cut off. And I know there's a lot of work going on in the UK and um, different groups are trying to, you know, deal with that and trying to um, advocate on behalf of people who are basically sick and getting, you know, institutions to take their, take their part of the, the, the situation, you know, so um, yeah, that's, the, again, that's not really relevant to recovery, Barry, so I'll, I'll, I'll go back to you again on that just in case i, I divert off <laughs> well no I, I think it is important and maybe there'll be something like that in ireland in the future like i think there is 
you know, that the banks are developing kind of vulnerable customer units. Uh, I think most of them have them in place at this stage. And certainly myself and Tony, and I imagine yourself as well, Colin, have worked with people who have used a parent's credit card or a spouse's credit card yeah. or a sibling or family member's credit card or the work credit card without prior knowledge or permission, which is essentially a fraud. I mean, I've had elderly people ringing me up saying that they're, they're basically their savings are being cleaned out by their adult son who has a massive gambling problem. These would be vulnerable older people who have never gambled in their lives. All of a sudden, there are you know thousands of lodgements going into online gambling accounts through their bank account, which has never had online gambling transactions on it before. And in an ideal world, the banks would be going, uh, we need to red flag this. I mean, if I buy a pair of runners online, I'm getting a text message from my bank going, is this you buying this you know, pair of runners online? You know, so if if we can protect, and as we should, let's say older parents from situations like that, which should be happening, where if suddenly there's a flurry of gambling transactions on an account where there's never been one before, the bank ideally would step in at that point or if there's somebody's racking up massive debt on their credit cards which hopefully we'll see an end to in ireland at some point in the not too distant future out of the blue where they've never gambled on credit before you know the banks could do something there yeah to preempt people getting themselves into to massive yeah. debt because bookmakers won't let you gamble on credit like unless it's tony soprano or whatever right yeah bankers in ireland and the uk and the rest of the world do not let you gamble on credit only the banks will let you do that right and they have a pretty intimate knowledge of what you normally spend your money on yeah what you normally don't spend your money yeah, on. So, yeah 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 so i think there's there's a capacity to, to head that off of the past or to be preemptive about it possibly yeah. rather than trying to go back and say look i have a problem can i have my money back now please yeah that might be a harder one to to engineer yeah it's been great to, to have you on i suppose to because we said that when we were recording the last podcast the look with because we were short for time on, on the day uh that we wanted to get you to back back in just to kind of continue the conversation i, w- I won't say complete the conversation because hopefully we might have you back on again as as things as always, the, as, del- always yeah. delighted to chat with you both yeah 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 yeah, and hopefully the landscape will shift and hopefully there will be more opportunities for people to access uh, treatment in various locations around the country that is specifically for gambling. You know, yeah. uh, we were talking about it before we came on air. You did a great piece of research which looked at what the HSE, the National Health Service in Ireland, provides. Only one of the nine regions were providing adequate, adequate treatment by their own admission. <laughs> for people yeah i mean it's, it's great it's great it's great to hear that that you've been using the, that, that that the research wasn't <laughs> completely in vain and that and that somebody is is using it so i'm delighted with that 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 it's it's been used for we did it for that reason so we could use it um and and highlight the the, the deficits you know but um yeah, listen, thanks again for, for, for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. And um, I guess we'll catch up again soon, yeah? Absolutely. Thanks a million. Colin O'Gara, I can, I'm going to get it right this time, consultant psychiatrist uh, at, and head of addiction services at St. John of God's Hospital in Dublin and clinical professor of psychiatry at UCD. Did I get it right that time? Oh, yeah.
and the author of definitely if you if if you've any interest in gambling addiction it's called gambling addiction in ireland but it could be gambling addiction in anywhere uh, it just happens to be that colin is based in ireland gambling addiction in ireland causes consequences and recovery for anybody who has any sort of an interest in learning more about how gambling addiction works and what steps you should take to recover from it uh, get your hands on that thanks a million colin take care Thank you.